Today on Amazingly Terrible, we are doing our first feature-length film, uh, the 1986 film Labyrinth. Twerk magic twerk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There we go. Nice. Nice. You're listening to Amazingly Terrible, the Magic Eye version of entertainment. My name is Adam. My name is Matt. I'm David. They call me Mike. And I'm Derek. Today we're talking about our first feature-length film, Labyrinth. Yeah. A lot of people said we couldn't make a film, and we didn't. (laughs) No, but we watched one. A lot of people said we couldn't make a podcast. And And they were right. (laughs) Yep. All right. So, Labyrinth. Who did I, since I know you guys are a little bit older than me, did anybody here see Mm -hmm. this in theaters? I think Mm -hmm. I did. No. Oh, no. wow. Yeah, I was pretty young, and I was too young to know who David Bowie was. Mm-hmm. So yeah. for a long time, I remembered this movie as starring Michael Jackson. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, wow. Dude. That's wow. awesome. I think it's like the focus on how much he wears gloves and child stealing. I don't know. Yeah. That would have <laughs> made this movie a lot more scary. Well, the funny thing was is, um, uh, from what I heard, the uh, Jim Henson always wanted to have a rock star playing Jareth, and aside from David Bo- David Bowie, they'd actually considered Michael Jackson and Sting. I so. was just scrolling through my notes to pick that up. Yeah, they oh, approached sorry. Sting. <laughs> no, 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 no worries. Uh, ideas for the role were Sting, Prince, Mick Jagger, and Michael Jackson. Oh, Prince! Whoa, nice. Yeah, Prince. Maybe this too. is a Mandela effect, dude. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Motherfucker would have been rolling around in stiletto heels, singing weird songs. They 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 approached Nelson Mandela to play the role of Jareth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so so the movie was, was big... released in June twenty seventh, I think, nineteen eighty six. Yeah, June 27th, 1986 in the United States, and it fucking tubed at the box office. Yeah. Which, however, if you look at what was out during June 27th, 1986, The Karate Kid Part 2, Back to School, Legal Eagles, Ruthless People, Running Scared, Top Gun, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Legal Eagles, I don't remember. I don't recognize that one. I've seen Legal Eagles. one of those movies is a iconic 80s flick. Yeah, that's a like, banging weekend. It, yeah, yeah. They just came out in the middle of, like, trophy season. Yep. Yeah, but, I mean, there's nothing else competing with it for the market that it was going for. Like, there was no other kids stuff out. Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Labyrinth was essentially the second Jim Henson film, and actually his last film that he directed, thanks to the box office bomb uh, that the movie was. Years later, it was essentially re-reviewed because it had become a cult film, and a lot of people have turned around, a lot of people who kind of panned it back in the day turned around and went, wait, actually, this was pretty iconic for what it did. Um, But they, it, uh, George Lucas was an executive producer on it, which is probably one of the reasons that they were able to kind of go after some of the serious Serious star power that they had in the film, even though you're like, well, it's just, you know, Bowie, who was enormous at the time. Uh, yeah. And then Jennifer yes, Connelly. Yes, he was. He yeah. was enormous at the time. <laughs> <laughs> we're get, we'll, we'll get to that point, uh, that part. But uh, if you actually go look at the list of actresses they went after for Sarah, it's 
bonkers. Helena Bonham Carter, Jane Krakowski, oh. Yasmin Bleeth, Sarah Jessica Parker, Marissa Tomei, Laura Dern, Ali Sheedy, Maddie Corman, which is the only one on that list that the name is. She did a couple of things. Mm. Uh, and then the girl who played Sloan in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And they they ended oh, up settling wow. on Jennifer Connelly. And this was her first kind of – this was her second big film role. But she was relatively unknown. And then other interesting fact, in the movie she's supposed to be 15, 16 years old. And she actually was. Uh, I mean, how many mm. movies and TV shows have you been like – it's the Steve Buscemi meme, like, hello, fellow school kids. And you're like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you are yeah. not 18. Oh, yeah. So they had all this star power. The script went back and forth for a few years. I think it started in 1983. Uh, and the actual final reading of the script happened right before filming. Um, there was, like, things where Bowie wanted it a bit more humorous, and then other people didn't want it more humorous, and just kind of how they were going to go about um Aside from the step-parents and then the child Toby in the film, um, Bowie and Connolly are the only two human actors. Everybody else is a puppet, which mm-hmm. was a, which is yeah. a, kind of a big deal. And so th- that's where, going back, where people are looking at the film, they're like, holy shit, they really did a good job with this. I didn't realize that George Lucas was attached. I actually had a couple of questions about the digital effects, because this was like super, super early on in digital uh, camera techniques, and they obviously have like a bunch of digital effects in this. We spent a lot of time looking at that stupid goddamn owl. Oh, yeah, in the opening yeah. credits. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was one of my notes. is like yeah. the movie opens with a very poor CGI owl, which transitions into a real that, owl. That was at damn the time, good for though, the 80s. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say at the time, it was probably like... The that was good for the 90s. Thing. I mean, aside from Jurassic Park, yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird that they made that choice because it's not like they couldn't have just you know isolated an owl on black screen and and had the same effect yeah there was definitely multiple uses of green or blue screen in this movie not to good effect though (laughs) it might have been after the chicken you think the chicken was digital (laughs) no i mean it might have been after the chicken incident tell us about the chicken incident oh in the in the big fight whatever the big orange guy what's his name again uh juro you know, uh, he's calling up the rocks and they're rolling down the streets. One of those rocks hits a very alive, real chicken and just smokes it. Oh, <laughs> right God. <on> the <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. no. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're styrofoam rocks or whatever, but it's still a yeah, styrofoam so rock that's probably giant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, what, 36 inches ish in diameter? And it's rolling down. If you're watching, it's, it's one of the scenes where it's kind of rolling down an alley towards the camera. And there are two black chickens running, and the chicken on viewer's right gets out of the way, and the chicken on viewer's left doesn't, and just, poof, gets hit by the rock. Nice. I need to go back and uh, watch this now. Ludo. Sorry, that's the character's name. yeah. Because I kept thinking he's... I need to watch the last 20 seconds where they do the animal disclaimer and see if it says, instead of no animals were hurt. (laughs) animals were hurt. Usually it says, every effort was made to avoid... (laughs) We're sorry about the left chicken, guys. Um, It just just says, no animals were hurt in the main of this movie, and then the no is just crossed out. (laughs) (laughs) It's just struck through like someone's editing your Word document at work. It's one of those those things. I I heard that that's what they fed the crew with. So technically, it was catering. (laughs) (laughs) Chickens aren't animals. They're they're food. Very fresh catering, yes. (laughs) It was, the budget was tight, so that's how they fed the crew. Nice. 
honestly, when I was watching the opening, I suddenly had like this like kind of brain snap where I thought I was watching a Harry Potter movie, and <laughs> I was just sitting there, and I totally forgot that I was, you know, being transported back to the 80s to watch. Um, oh, this movie is very 80s. Yeah. The, well, well but, she kept on calling Hoggle it, Hogwarts. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah it's also very Harry Potter like that. Yeah, yeah. So, I can definitely see some influence. So the movie opens in a very European-looking garden, um, and Jennifer Car- Jennifer Connelly's character Sarah comes onto the screen, reciting a you know. It's not a soliloquy. What would it be? She's monologue. reciting a, a thank you monologue, a passage from what we find out later on is the book Labyrinth, which is a fictional book made up for the movie. And she's in this very European-looking garden as she as this goes on, and she's in a white dress, and then that that owl is sitting on top of an obelisk, and you actually don't know as the viewer what time frame it is. Um, she forgets the lines to whatever she's whatever she's reciting, she pulls the book out of her pocket, looks at it, and that's when she realizes, looking at a clock, that it's 7 p.m. and she yeah. has to run home. We learn quickly uh, what time frame it is. It's a late afternoon, early evening. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like, it's, year. It must be no, summertime, yeah, yeah. too, for it to be light that late. Well, it's actually, I was going to say something like that. It, was gonna, it has to be, like, the higher latitudes, too, for it to be. It depends where in the time so zone light. you are. Uh, yeah. Well, so this is just again, and you can see we... by the hoarfrost that's forming. That, uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> All right, so then she leaves Europe and then runs through essentially any town in the United States. In oh come on, this is this is clearly New England. Mm-hmm. Like this yeah. is this is Connecticut. It's, it's, yeah, I was oh, just going to say guess. it's New England. I originally thought New England, but where? So anyway, she runs home, and then oh, let me get to this, and we'll talk about. it. She runs home. She's greeted on the front steps by her stepmother, who is scolding her for being late because stepmom and then dad are going out on a date. Sarah is upset because they essentially go out every Saturday night, and then she can't do anything because she's a repressed 15-year-old, and she has to watch their, I think it's two-year-old little brother, Toby. Uh, he's the half-brother. Well, but she claims that they yeah. go out every night, but we get the feeling she's not very reliable and seems yeah. quite, quite upset. She's quite pissed. So, yeah, so and there may be some her hyperbole going on. Or so you guys thought New England? Where do you think that park was? Herperbole. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it was in Herperbole, Wisconsin. Um that park was Um Well he said it was very European looking, so I'm gonna guess so, Little Hanoi. Yeah. Her Boston. Yes. In Boston. <laughs> no, this is just an interesting thing that I thought it was. It's actually West Wycombe Park in like in the United Kingdom, and then she runs oh. into Haverstraw, New York. Oh, Haverstraw, oh, really? New York. Uh, yeah. So they why why were they shooting in New England? I mean, why were they shooting in uh, old England? England, in old England was yeah, to give the idea of like the the fantasy park, the the very very beginning, and yeah. then she just runs through like like we said, any it's Upper New York. Any town USA, so New England looks like Upper New York or whatever. But it was yeah. just, it was kind of jarring to me. I was like, at first when it started out, I was like, I don't remember this taking place back in the, like, like a true fantasy film. And then she's running in jeans, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's how this works. Holy shit. Uh, so so they, they, they flew everybody out to England for that one shot? Yep. Or do they? Damn. Y- <laughs> y- <laughs> nice. Yep. But they also shot a bunch of it at Elstree Studios, which is a 
soundstage in England. So it may have been yeah. they'd already been there because, I mean, the, almost the rest of the movie is soundstage. Yeah. Like, the entirety of it. I mean, most of this movie takes place in, like, a, a 20 by 20 foot box. Yeah, with another box inside it. They, yeah. they had much laxer chicken safety laws in England. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Nice, nice. Uh, yeah. So actually, it's not upper New York. It's uh, right above Long Island. So Piermont and Haverstraw. Huh, interesting. Right above Long Island. That seems like Connecticut. <laughs> it's literally in the map of New York, dude. Yes, I'm just, just giving you a hard bit. time. Um, so what I learned about this film that I didn't know is that originally the first draft was written by Terry Jones of Monty oh, really? Python. Huh. Yep. And Crazy. It, yes, he's the sole writing credit, even though multiple other people took a stab at yes, the script. Yes, they rewrote this script a fuckload. But I think he there's some very Terry Jones esque stuff in this film. Like, I, sir, knowing that he worked on it, Sir Didymus feels very Terry Jones. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I kind of didn't put two and two together until you just said that. When you said there's some very Terry Jones stuff in it, I'm like the fucking fox. Yep. Like that is holy crap. That's right out of the Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah. Yeah. Also, this this film, I think, was an influence for a lot of kind of modern fantasy genre stuff. We mentioned Hogwarts, which we'll get to why that comes in. Uh, the whole movie kind of plays out like a Dark Souls game. The friggin' the, the fox riding a dog is essentially a character in another video game called Divinity Original Sin 2, where a guy named Quirkus, he's a squirrel, he rides a cat. Just a bunch of stuff that I looked at, and I was like, wow. You know, modern fantasy pop culture reference. Check modern fantasy pop culture reference. So I think this is very influential, and in kind of in in the modern genre. I can tell you that this was the origin for a lot of confusing boners for me. Mm. <laughs> uh, are we are we talking about costume selection for Jareth? Not yet. I think we're still Not- talking about Jennifer Connelly. <laughs> I mean, this is teenage Jennifer Connelly. This is not Requiem for a Dream, Jennifer Connelly. <laughs> well, keep in mind, what year did this come out? 1986? 1986. So yeah. we were actually younger than her, so that was allowed. Yeah, <laughs> we're younger than her. We were all born after 1970. Shit. Yeah. So it's totally, you know, back then, for like us to be like confused but very, you know, um, curious seven and eight year olds um looking at a beautiful 16 year old that's that's part of growing up <laughs> thanks for the defense mike awesome. tell us about your confusing boners i'll tell you that yeah. her nose what set the standard for like what i thought was beautiful for like years to come like her face <laughs> for, her like, noses like, like yeah like she has the most perfect nose hmm you know that she's married to paul bettany the guy who plays vision Yes. And he's a great actor. I actually really enjoy him. He's been in a bunch of shit, too. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's, he was oh, yeah, a ton yeah. of fun, that guy. I, I loved him in um, uh, first Night's, Tale. Night, Night's Tale. Yes. Yeah. That, Tale. Was, yep. yeah. that was the first well, time I, I think I saw that. Uh, I loved him first. Well, fine. <laughs> <laughs> he was also in another, I don't whatever, smaller film or whatever, one that I 
have watched a bunch is Master and Commander of the Far Side of the World. Yeah, yeah he was yep. great in that. Yeah. yeah, that's a that's a great like sailing ship naval flick, dude. That's one of my favorite films. Is it really? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Oh, next time we get nice, together, nice. let's drink some beers and watch that movie because that absolutely. movie is fan-fucking-tastic. It's so good. I, I think the yeah. part where he operates on himself is like, it's so badass. So, back to Paul Bettany's wife in the movie Labyrinth. <laughs> so the parents the parents leave, and her her younger brother, her younger stepbrother is just the, the inconsolable. Purple crying, they call it. I learned that in the hospital. And she, she goes in, and she grabs Lancelot, her, her stuffed bear, and kind of gets violent with it, and essentially starts wishing that he was not around, that she did not have to watch him. And this is the first time that sh- the goblins show up, and they're actually quite humorous. They're just essentially Muppet goblins, and so they're like, well, yeah, go ahead and recite the words. And so she goes through this long thing, and one of the goblins goes, that's, that's not it. <laughs> it's not that hard. This wall like, of goblins? Yeah, that, that really, yeah. This is definitely the thing that scared me as a kid. Is just yeah, I was going to say, I'm this like, is what scared the crap out of me, too. Yeah. It was like yeah. the, the mass of bodies that then turned out to be goblins. But, uh, but after after like um, watching it and and doing some research, this is when I, like, this is really when you realize that Brian Froud really got his dick all up in this movie. Like, his stink is on everything in this movie. <laughs> Who? Brian Proud. He's the illustrator. He's oh. Done a, he's done a ton of work. He was hugely influential on Lord of the Rings, huge influence on uh, all of the Henson stuff. But this is, like, all of these look, they look like Brian Proud paintings. These, uh, like, Wall of Goblin stuff. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's a very distinct look. I just didn't know that that was, as you said, got a stick all up in this movie and a stink on everything. Oh, yeah. But it, he, would make, it would make sense. It's a very, very dis- – I mean, even Hoggle, like, kind of plays into how that looks. Yeah, af- after the production meetings, Henson would come out just wiping the smegma, the frond smegma off his lips. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, man. So – she ends up saying the magic phrase, which was nothing more than, I wish the Goblin King would come and take my brother, and then poof, he's gone. Bowie shows up. We find out that he's the Goblin King. Um, his name is Jareth, and she essentially re- regrets her wish, and he gives her 13 hours to make, his, make her way from her room, which is now at the edge of the labyrinth, all the way through the maze to the Goblin City, into the castle, to find her brother. And, and boom, just... we've met the two humans that are in this film, basically. <laughs> yep, the yep. end. Does, does Bowie actually do the thing with the crystal ball, or is that... No. Because no. of no. all the people out there that would have like spent the time to learn how to do that just for a role, David Bowie strikes me as the person that would try to do that. But I, I hear that there was like a, like someone in his, like behind him that, were, that was doing that, like doing like the fake hands type thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is sad. Yep, and that's um, I don't want to steal your your thunder there, uh, Derek. But that's one of the reasons why he had such a big codpiece, such a big bulge for this movie was because the the contact juggler basically had his face right next to David Bowie's crotch the entire time, <laughs> and David Bowie grabbed a bat, a giant sack of potpourri, and stuck it in his pants to make sure that he didn't stink for the uh, contact juggler. A likely story. Yeah, that... <laughs> so, I don't believe you. No. There was... We'll just talk about it right now, then. There was an interview that came out 
uh, I didn't write it when, but they, they discussed it. They said, hey, what was the deal with the cod piece? What was, you know, tight pants, whatever. And it was actually Henson and Lucas and the guys working on the film wanted him. And this is when you know this, it gets really fucked up and creepy. <laughs> they wanted him to both be like tantalizing and horrifying for a 15-year-old teenage girl. So that's why he had the rocker look, but he also had leather armor. He had a scepter that looked like a microphone and then the cod piece because, and I quote, would be terrifying to a 15-year-old girl. Jesus. And I was like, holy fuck. So the cod piece actually started out at its maximum size where you see it at 32 minutes and 46 seconds into the film where he's, <laughs> where he's disguised as the beggar. Yes. Where they, they yeah. see him. That is the, it is very prominent in that scene. It is yeah. that's, enormous. Uh, is, is that the one that's all that's, over the net like when you search for David Bowie and Labyrinth? Pretty much. Uh, what was and, the, and then was the time Bowie... That was the one where Hago runs up and like basically puts his face right into Bowie's crotch. Yeah. So. Uh, so, anyways, Bowie actually pushed pushed against the size of the large codpiece. He didn't oh, think he pushed it was right up against it. And so, as the movie goes on, because that was the first time it was filmed, so that's when it was at, at its largest. Uh, as the movie goes on, they reduce the size of the codpiece because they would not reshoot scenes. Nobody oh, wanted really. to reshoot scenes. So if you were to put them in, like, shooting order, you would notice the bulge, <laughs> the bulge goes away as the movie goes on. Interesting. Yeah, it's uh, fucking tragic. That's the saddest <laughs> story I've ever heard. <laughs> that Bowie's, Bowie's bulge decreased <laughs> as the movie. <laughs> first of all, that it's not real. That's the first thing that's sad. <laughs> True, but it's, it's but it's colossal. it could be real to you, just like it was real to the to the Jennifer Connelly character. Yeah, it was, was real to you know, fifteen year old girls going through the whole process of like becoming a woman through her imagination. Mm. It was real for her, so it could be real for you too, Matt. Thank you. You know, you could just watch the man who fell to earth. <laughs> the man who fell to earth. Oh, I've seen it. I don't get that joke, but that's okay. Is it got a naked David Bowie in it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yum. I'm looking it up now. Yum, yum, <laughs> yum. <laughs> All right, so she she rolls over to the essentially the entrance of the labyrinth, and she meets a, a dwarf. I guess he's a dwarf. I don't know. They call him a dwarf. Okay. Jareth, Jareth calls him a dwarf throughout the, the, oh, okay. the movie, so... Uh, he's he's euthanizing fairies, which is awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah, that, that's the scene I really remember from the movie. And mm -hmm. finally, was... I can tell you the cast of this movie because we've introduced them all. We've got Jailbait Jenny, Karen Hair Dave, and Neck Vagina. Because <laughs> <laughs> his fucking neck is the most disgusting, horrid thing. <laughs> it looks like a geriatric vagina. It's really gross. Like, he is... I mean, he's got dick nose and warts and... Hoggle's, Hoggle's my least favorite character. I fucking hate him. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't a fan of him. But she calls him Hogwarts, which I was curious if that was the first time that that word had ever kind of been uttered, you know? Now everybody, if you say, hey, what's Hogwarts? Pre-Harry yeah. Potter, somebody might be like, oh, that's what Sarah calls Hoggle 
in Labyrinth, whereas now it's like, uh, are no. you dumb? I think Hogwarts is an actual um, herb, right? I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know. Yes, I use it all the time. It um, helps enhance and accentuate um, <laughs> your, your god base. <laughs> your nose. <laughs> Well, the, um, the the actress that played Hoggle, uh, Sherry Weiser, she was young at the time, but she was a little person. And mm-hmm. um, uh, from what I understand, there were like eight different remote controls to control the fucking head that were crammed on her. So she had to like do all the body acting, and then there were eight different puppeteers that were trying to like move the eyes, the mouth, the ears, everything else mm-hmm. in the character. Yeah, because most of the head is animatronic, and the rest of it is uh, a, a suit. Just a person, yeah, in yeah. costume, basically. Interesting. I didn't know that. And we get introduced to Hoggle as he's urinating in a pond, taking a break from killing off all the fairies. Yeah. So. Which was also a shock to small child Derek. Yeah. Well, and also probably a shock to, like, a 15, 16-year-old <laughs> girl, maybe. Like, mm-hmm. is this George? is this George Lucas and uh, uh, Jim Henson being like, hey, you can't urinate in front of kids as it turns out mm-hmm. or i don't know seems like a bizarre choice for them to be making at this point yeah hoggle's like reeling in that hog so she talks to him and asks him how essentially to find her way into the labyrinth and this is the only time that he's like you have to ask the right question Like he does one of those kind of the specific question yeah. Yeah. yeah she was just like hey how do i get in and he's like you need to ask the correct question, which they don't do that for the remainder of the movie, strangely enough. Um, well, no, she continually fucks it up for the rest of the movie. Well, the first half, yeah. She's pretty bad. She she, she makes a mistake that I kind of make a lot in, I, in uh, focusing on the next step in the process instead of what the overarching goal is. Oh, very good. So she, she's, it's like she's become lost. In her own desires, in her own process. Mm. And she's actually helped out with this by a worm, a talking worm that she comes across once she gets into the labyrinth, who is like, just walk through that wall over there, and using some pretty sweet camera tricks, you realize that the set is built on a like a, a 2D surface. It looks like one continuous wall, but it's, it's a very neat trick where she it's walks yeah. through yeah. it, and then you realize it's three dimensions, and it... I remember being amazed at that one as a kid. And it still was actually pretty cool to see it again as an adult. It's platform nine and a half. Platform nine and a half. Yeah, I think we're starting to see a lot of J.K. Rowling's uh, tricks before J.K. Rowling's. Well, this movie had to have had effect on her. The thing that, that I found very interesting is in this scene, at the beginning of the scene, Jennifer Connelly says, this, this is going on and on, it's not a labyrinth, but maybe I'm taking it for granted, and then starts running. Mm-hmm. And I, they use the phrase "taking it for granted." It's because Hoggle uh, just a second ago I told her that her problem was she that. takes too much stuff for granted. Well, yes, it probably goes back to her brother. You know. Yeah, like, I was just gonna say before yeah. that, I think uh, her stepmother told her that, and I think at some point in time Jareth also says it in here. So it's like he repeated. says it, I believe, multiple times. Yeah, it gets repeated over and over and over again. So because from. Jareth's point of view, he's not a bad guy. She literally asked him to come take the bo- the boy, and he was like, "Okay, I got him. Here's yes. your here's your gift in return." And then she got was like, him. "Oh no, just kidding." He was like, "No, take backsies." 
No, no. He says, no, even, even then. He said, you got them. I'm taking them. Here's your gift. You've got 13 hours to figure it out. You just got to come down to the home office, fill out some mm-hmm. paperwork, and you can take the kid back. But you only got 13 hours. Yeah, it's not unreasonable. He's like municipal government. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, he really is. It's like going to the fucking DMV if the DMV had an amazing hairdo and a giant bulge. Well, I mean, it, well, also, the whole story is about her projection of this story, right? Like, yeah, uh, yeah. she's acting out the story from Labyrinth in the beginning. We see that. That's her fantasy life. And then she projects this whole story. And she he even says it at the end that he's he's been trying so hard to live up to her expectations of what she thinks the narrative should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, that's my point of he doesn't see himself as the bad guy. And realistically, he's not. Yeah, He's nobody just, sees themselves as the Trump bad guy. You know, like Trump didn't think he was the bad guy. He was, but he didn't think he was. I'm just saying in this regard. I don't know. <laughs> like, He's just doing a job, man. His job is to be the Goblin King. He rules over the goblins. He takes babies when they're, you know, when someone says. Mm-hmm. So. so anyways, after a little bit more adventuring, um, Sarah ends up in a dungeon with Hoggle. I just wanted to mention one thing back when we first entered the labyrinth. When we first go into the labyrinth, we get a look around, and you realize that the the puppeteers have just glued glued glitter and Google eyes to everything in the labyrinth. Oh, yeah. It's like a a fucking daycare in there. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, that's the reason why the goblins take the babies. It's because it's actually like it's supernatural daycare. Oh, yeah. That would make sense. And they're actually very, like, good with the baby. Yeah, like, the, the baby, baby is like... not... It is well cared for. It has toys. It, it's fed. The very first scene we see the Toby in the goblin castle, he has bread. So the goblins yeah, were like, yeah. oh, okay, you're part of us now, man. Um, Here's some goblin bread. Somebody's got to keep that baby fed. It looks like it's uh, it eats constantly. Here's a, here's yeah. a loaf of bread and a mug of black beer. Like that baby's a chick. Yeah. Problem. And, nice. It gets replaced with a rag doll when they start throwing it in the air. Yeah, <laughs> that is the only point where it all it all feels threatening. I actually think this is a big missed opportunity yeah. because, like, for the most part, Bowie just like hangs out with a baby. That's his role in this movie, and he's like yeah. pretty nice to it. He sings yeah. songs about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like. Whatever the one song, Magic Baby. Like, what do we use? Like, <laughs> slime and snails, puppy dog tails, thunder <laughs> and lightning. Magic Baby. <laughs> A classic rock and roll anthem, ladies and gentlemen. It's Magic Magic Baby. All he's trying to do is do his job, and then we get this teenager who yeah, just yeah. made a bunch of poor life choices trying to stop him. Yeah, and he was when I was when I ran for regional election for Goblin King. I knew this <laughs> job would be thankless. But is this thankless? <laughs> <laughs> nice. So they, they confront Jareth again. They uh, they essentially get out of there, and that's when we meet Wait, our... I, I, I don't want to skip over the hands. We're not even there yet. Are we not? No, we're just at the oubliette. Yeah. Yeah, she the oubliette is what happens after the hands. So first she comes across the... Oh, uh, that's right. The yeah. two guards. The two yep, guards. The doors. The yeah. liars. Yeah. The liar One's and the truth. Yeah. Yeah. The truth. Yeah, the yeah, this o- this old canard. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, go ahead, Adam, if you want to tell this part. Well, I was beginning. just gonna say, she picks the right door. She walks through. She hits a trap door and falls. And that that fall, where the trap door hits and she falls, she does the spin in the air, and it was like it was a very beautiful choreographed fall. 
And I was actually very impressed by the fact that like the 15 year old Jennifer Connelly was able to actually do that and make it look so nice. Yeah, because she's kind of terrible in this film. We get to the Wall of Hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, and Where just, are those hands going? Yeah, exactly. Where are they? <laughs> Here's what I like to picture for the Wall of Hands. I like to picture how it was done in, like, behind this uh, pubescent girl, there's just a whole bunch of sweaty, white, balding puppeteers <laughs> trying to fucking hand Bukaki this 16-year-old. <laughs> Well, we do know that they're puppeteers at the very least because the things that they do where they're making the the hand faces and the hand puppets the whole time, like, that's pretty amazing. The fact that, like, they can't see where their hands are in comparison to everybody else's hands and they form their hands together to make faces, I thought was pretty astounding. That was really cool. I actually saw a video on the making of that and they they were showing, like, all the different hand positions that they were taking to make different faces. It was pretty fun. Yeah. I imagine it probably took a long time for them to, to work out the the quote-unquote choreography for that. Yeah, I'm sure they had, like, teams of, like, three people who were just like, okay, you we're going to work this out. You're the eyebrows. You just only do this. I'll be And it's impressive mustache. because every one of those is a different face, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like they're all the same, you know, or very similar. They're all very different. Yes. But th- this is also another one of those moments of, like, her exploring her own sexuality, mm-hmm. dealing with all the groping hands and, like, yeah, coming to it's, terms with, like, what, what that might be like as she becomes an adult and gets into adulthood and the dating hand, game. Hand play. Yes, mm. Adam, keep on mansplaining what, what it's like yeah. for a woman to go it's through almo- puberty. Yeah, it's almost like the it's almost like the labyrinth is like her childhood, and this hand tunnel is her gateway to adulthood. Exactly. Yeah. Because it says, "Do you want to go back up?" And she goes, "No, no, no, no. No, go down. Go down." <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> she looks right at the camera and like gives us a big old wink. <laughs> so, anyway, she goes down and meets up with. With Hoggle again, yeah, in the Oubliette, which is basically just a trash can for people. U- yes. Oubliette is essentially dungeon. Yeah, it means yeah. hole. They're, they're the same thing. And I, I thought it was interesting in here because uh, David Bowie says she got to the the Oubliette, right? And she was never supposed to make it that far. And then when she talks to Hoggle in the Oubliette, he says, "Oh, this is one of many Oubliettes." that yes. the Labyrinth has. So here's my theory on that. There is only one oubliette in the Labyrinth, because as we know, the Labyrinth is a shifting metaspace, right? It's conceptual. Yes. So yeah. from Hoggle's point of view, there are many oubliettes because there are many entrances to this one oubliette. But Jareth, who controls this whole minuscule little world, understands that he there knows. is only one oubliette, but there are many ways to get into it. Gotcha. So sense. I believe this is the point where when they leave the Oubliette is where they encounter Jareth with the largest of the cod pieces in. Yeah, we got cockblock yeah. Jareth. This is yeah. the this is the toy I always wanted as a kid. I didn't want battle damage he man, I want cockblock Jareth. <laughs> the inflatable cod piece. Yeah. You just pump it, you get one of those it's got like one of those little pumping hand things. The cod piece gets bigger and bigger. So they leave there, and essentially she's going over essentially whether 
you know, Hoggle is her friend, but Hoggle is an admitted coward. Well, they're chased by the cleaners. Yeah. First. Which is, which is like the device from, um, God, Waxworks. Yeah. That's right. They're, just a they're giant version by... of that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's basically like an under, a drill, basically. Yeah, a tunnel boring yeah. machine. Yeah. And after they bust through a wall, you see that the machine is driven by like three goblins. That yeah, was yeah. Just pretty amusing. That was yeah, the yeah, funniest like that thing. That this this that, is very Brian Froud. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. so terrifying and scary, and then once it like the threat passes, you're like, oh, yeah, it's quite amusing. Yeah, they the do that a few times in there, like house cats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and they're just like. <laughs> we did kind of go over the dance magic dance. We scene. haven't we haven't gone we, over we, it very much. We, we, we kind of no. kind of skipped that one. We got but you got to get into it. It doesn't really like lead to any real conversation. Excuse me, but an interesting thing about the. Uh, the dance magic dance music scene was that the baby would not make any noises. They were trying to get the baby to make noises to like cut into the dance magic dance song, and yeah. he wouldn't. So all the baby noises that you hear in that uh, whole music montage was um, David Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> wow! I didn't think I could get any harder. this is the scene where you really see how much bowie is phoning in the dancing yeah yeah it's it's like he's like the end of the tour one of the last shows to perform you know he's tired wants to get back home that's that's the stage presence that he brings to this kind of yeah he's like going through the choreography but he's not really like lifting his arms very much no except when he throws the kid that's the only scary bit in this whole movie, really. As an adult, yes. Yeah, you as shouldn't adult, throw your kids yeah. like that. Well, as an adult, you can clearly see that it's a, it's a puppet, Ragdoll. and that makes yeah. it hilarious. Now, now you tell me. What's next after the oubliette? Uh, sorry, after the uh, cleaners. Yeah, the the cleaners chase him in their giant uh, tunnel drilling machine. They end up in another part of the labyrinth, which is kind of a, a hedge maze. Yeah, it's like a topiary garden. Yep. What's that? Topiary garden. Yeah. Uh, you see you see a early foreshadowing of one of the Goblin King's mounted troops in here um, as they're kind of rolling around. He's, mm-hmm. he's getting on the other side of the, uh, of the hedgerows, staying out of the way. But she's going over friendship with Hoggle. And Hoggle, I think this is the point where he admits to her that he's a coward. Like, he's like, I can't do anything because I am a coward. Um, And at that point, they separate. And she comes around the corner to see a orange... Imagine an orange wampa from Empire Strikes Back, um, but not as mean. With a giant dumper. Oh, my God. (laughs) Again, I got to talk about Ludo. Ludo... Okay. (laughs) Ludo looks like every shit he's ever taken has just become a part of his body. Oh, you think he's just just a pile of dingleberries, basically? Yeah, he's basically a dingleberry brought to life. Yeah. He's like uh, Shaka or Raka or whatever the name of that character was from Land of the Lost. Yeah, Uh, Winkleberry. Winkleberry, yeah. Yeah, he... That's why he's so big, is because every time he fucking shits, he gets larger. It's just added to his body mass. Interesting. That would be kind of interesting. Like, you shave him down, like, you shave all the matted fur off of him, and he's nothing but, like, the size of a chicken. 
Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. He, he he's like terribly thin and emaciated under there because yeah, it's just yeah. yeah. His whole Which body kind of, kind of explained like some of the actions that he takes throughout. But it also mean that kind of explains why he's so slow because he's always kind of like pondering because yeah, he's, he's like just, dragging yeah. fifty pounds of shit in his fur. Yeah, he's yeah. literally he's literally constantly walking through his own feces. So anyways, he's up by one of his feet, <laughs> upside down. Uh, a couple of the goblin, I guess you could call them foot soldiers. We see them a couple yeah. times throughout the movie. What looks to be like kind of standing army soldiers. They are they're antagonizing him with creatures on the end of sticks that bite. And in a, a fairly big plot hole in the movie, Sarah's like, I wish I had something to throw. And then all of a sudden, rocks start rolling down towards her. No, this uh, makes sense because we learn later that Ludo controls rocks. Yeah. And he saw her and was like, here, have a rock. Please save me, you stupid fucking kid. Oh, yeah, I guess I guess you're right. Well, it's not even that he controls them. He says the rocks are his friends. So they clearly yeah. see an opportunity to help him out. I mean, this is the only time he really controls small rocks. All the other rocks he controls are boulders. But Well, this is the only yes. time we see him, but I, I'd like to think that, like, just following him, like, in the room behind him, there's just, like, thousands of tiny little rocks just, like, rumbling behind Ludo. So, anyways, so she gets him down from this trap. She she throws, throws some rocks at the foot soldiers that, you know, kind of keystone cops, a, a bunch of slapstick occurs, they're bumping into each other and biting each other with their spears with animals on the ends. Yeah. The, they all their pain up. sticks. Yeah. Yeah. They all roll out, and she gets Ludo down. Ludo is by far the most useful character and only, like, only needed character in this entire movie. Oh, yeah. Yes. He, he, he is the Groot. He is the yeah. Deus Ex yes. Machina character. I am Groot. Yeah, he pretty much is. Uh, one other thing I forgot to to, uh, to touch on this is, I believe when they were leaving... Hoggle and Sarah, when they left the area where the tunnel boring machine almost got them to the point that they separate in this, as Matt called it, topiary, he talks about the bog of a, of eternal stench, like the smelliest place known to mankind, and if you get it on you, you'll stink forever, which is coming up. So her and Ludo... Spoilers. They, Jesus. <laughs> Sorry. Her and Ludo leave... They leave. They they go meet another another set of doors where they have to pick their way through. Yeah, and it, it door knockers, which I thought was actually kind of this scene was kind of clever. They looked where, pretty good. Yeah, one. By the way, were their eyes olives? <laughs> when, to be yes. honest with you, when I was a kid, that's what I thought. That, no, it's that was the exact today, I was like, when I was No, a it's, it's a sculpture technique where you uh, you do the the ball of the eye and then you inset the pupil, so it gives you that shadowed look for uh-huh. the iris of the eye, but also it gives you the highlight look because the light hits the interior curve of the of the pupil. Man, I wouldn't be surprised if they just spray painted some olives. Yep, I think <laughs> that's, that's what they scene. did. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, it was cool, though, because one of the guys, so they were door knockers, and one of them had the door knocker ring going through his ears, and you find out when she interacts with him that he's deaf, so all he does is yell. And then the other guy had the door knocker ring through his mouth, which they're able to remove and talk to him. And I just, I, I thought it was one of the more, there was some very clever things, like puppets in this movie, when they left mm-hmm. the obluette, ob- the dungeon or whatever. Yeah, Oubliette. Uh, Oubliette. Was that the scene where they're passing the wall recesses? 
who were hoggles like anytime you're going in the correct yeah. direction they yeah, tell you the you're false not. alarms yeah yeah, yeah. yeah the false and then alarms. <laughs> the one guy he's like he's like just don't and he's like but I never get to do it and he was like all right just this once but don't <laughs> expect any reaction from us and he was like okay and I just thought that that interaction was pretty clever. There's lots of yeah. there's lots of little scenes in this film that are a ton of fun. I mean, hugely inventive design of the <laughs> characters and fun with the puppeteering. It just doesn't come together in to a bigger part, like a bigger piece. They really, you oh, know, no, like no. this movie is all about the production design. Yes. Yeah. The the movie really feels like it is just a series of vignettes that were just sort of like yeah. squished together with like some mm-hmm. some actors as like the through thread between them. But it's still pretty fun to watch. Oh no! Like, yeah. Every time yeah. they go into a new, so essentially a new sound stage, I would be like, I found myself looking kind of at the scene around the room in the scene or whatever, and being like, "Hey, what's the what's the interactable object?" It's almost like playing a video game. You're like, oh, yeah. "What can I yeah. interact with in this room? Is this statue going to come alive? Is this door going to come alive? Is you know, is whatever?" Yeah. Should I should I use bread on door? Right. <laughs> Should I use but, a toothbrush on door? We now oh. get to the most confusing scene in the entire movie. So Sarah and Ludo roll into a forest. Ludo falls into a hole in the ground. She doesn't know where he's going. And then she meets a group of creatures that I didn't even know what they were called until I looked them up. The fire the gang. Fire gang. Fire gang. And they this is very seeing... confusing. Yes. Yeah, they start singing a song, and it sounds like it's a bit of a Calypso reggae-style song. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, they're pulling their hands off, and then they're pulling their heads off, and there's some game that they're playing where they're throwing their heads around, and she ends up pulling their heads off, and then they're trying to pull her head off, and the whole thing was a huge mess. I, it mm. is very confusing about what they're trying to convince her to do. And Sorry, why ahead, is the why is it necessary that they be like blue screened into that scene? Like it, it because they yes. are they're controlled by puppeteers. They're kind of like elastic, and they're worn by a puppeteer. So actually, like their face area is around about the, pu- the one of the puppeteers' middle. So that's why they can raise their arms and dance around like that. So they're like they're like these weird elastic suits, and the green screen cuts out the puppeteers who are visible behind them. Oh, they couldn't oh. do strings. They actually had to like literally just hold the arms and stuff like that behind them. Right. There's one scene where there's one scene where they like super stretch out, and they're doing like it's they're doing like a jumping jack, and their arms and legs going way out. That's that's the that's yeah. the puppeteer like standing with his arms and legs fully extended. Yeah, and there are multiple scenes where like their head pops off and like rolls around, but then the head comes back on the body, and you really wouldn't be able to do that quite so easily with strings. It'd be much easier yeah. just to have somebody in a green suit behind moving the head around. Yeah, so. and they're being controlled by like three people or two. Oh, or three oh, I okay, I see. Like, yeah, the one body is actually made out of three or four actual like actors. Yes. People, yeah. yeah. This is just a weird like. This is, I think, one of the scenes that made me just have nightmares later, just because my young brain just didn't understand <laughs> what was going on. And you know, yeah, it, you know, my it's this is like almost this is like forty the, year old brain had no idea what was going well, on. See, in the two times I watched this, I, I don't want to get on a like, tangent. What the fuck are they trying about to LSD? But um, <laughs> this is one of those LSD moments where, like. 
what they say, like how LSD will rewire your brain to re-experience something for the first time, which is why people say it's so mind-bending. Um, it's why things as a child, like like the moon following you and um, walls moving and colors changing and stuff, because your brain isn't mature enough to know that that's not supposed to happen. So even us as adults looking at this are a little bit confused, but as a child, you've never seen it before, so you literally think that the legs can come off, and uh, it, that's kind of, like, normal. So, yeah, I couldn't even imagine watching this on, like, LSD, because you'd probably re-experience it as a child, like, as a child, and um, this would be the worst movie ever to watch, like, on acid. What's, what's, uh, what's <laughs> funny, Mike, is after all of that... Maybe the best. Um, I don't know. My... My child brain actually blocked this out. All yeah. of my childhood memories of this movie—that is not a scene in it. Mm. And it, yeah. it wasn't until scene, I watched it recently as a doll that I was like, "Oh, okay, that makes sense." Yeah, you, you are right. It's just sort of like was crammed in there to be like, "Look at this cool puppet technique that we could do," or, or more likely, it was like, "Look at the cool digital effects we can do," yeah. because this would have been one of the first digital effects up there with uh, with Willow. I I really enjoyed the the tune or the music that they had for this but the entire scene was explained through the music and i still could not tell you the words that they were actually singing like the words that were actually in the song uh it's very confusing and and again like it's not very clear what they're trying to convince her to do it's interesting that we all think that they're trying maybe drugs i don't know but they're yeah. are they into pyromania? Are they into disassembly? I, I just don't know. Body horror? They're just like into a lot of different things, and it doesn't really make any sense of what their like what their point what of view is, or even like what they're trying to convey about like her personality through like this whole right. She doesn't have any journey. Yeah, so. she doesn't have any growth from this at all. Yeah. No, it's this weird song and dance number that ultimately they want to take her head off. They're, or that's, they're trying to pull her head off. Yeah, that's, because that's that's part what the, of the game, game is. Yeah. Well, okay, yeah. so this is one of those morally ambiguous. Like this is like a green, a uh, uh, orange versus blue. Since their heads can come off, they naturally assume that hers can come off. So they don't think of it as morally wrong. Ooh, to, I got it. To try I got to pull it. her head off. They're just trying so to play this, a game. This scene is actually about the game, the book. <laughs> so this is actually about like how men will try to gaslight her. Yeah, into doing things that she doesn't want to do. These guys are trying to yeah. neg. They're trying to neg. Hits the flames. Yeah, this is a whole uh, metaphor about uh, puberty, where she runs into the jaw crowd, and all they want to do is take her maidenhead. Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> David, all right, coming guys. In strong. Uh, I'm I'm done presenting tonight. I can't run up that <laughs> at all. Anyways, so while this was going on, Hoggle runs into Jareth. And Jareth is like, what are you doing? Why are you wearing that plastic bracelet? And Hoggle then lies because Hoggle is trying not to confront Jareth where he is. Hoggle's attempting to help Sarah to the castle. Hoggle was a coward, ran away. Jareth shows up. He's like, where are you going? Why aren't you taking her back to the beginning? He gives Hoggle a poisoned... I think it's a peach. Yeah, right? it's a peach. Yeah, yeah, it's a peach. peach. It's a peach, yeah. And he's like, give this to her. And Hoggle, who's a coward, accepts it. And he says, if she kisses you, then you'll turn into a prince. What do you say? A prince of the... A prince of stink? 
Yes. Yeah, Princess Peach. He essentially says, if she kisses you, bog of eternal stench. You yeah. Know, do not pass go. Do you'll not collect a hundred dollars. You'll be the prince it's, of the bog of eternal stench. Yeah. 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 And we do get one. We get one shot in this scene where we are kind of at hoggle height, and he starts he starts begging Jareth, but really we're just seeing how, really illustrating how everything in this whole world that Jareth rules is at blowjob height for him. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he has the cod. Every creature that lives in Jareth's labyrinth, he I assume has created and maintains at. Low job height. Except the mounted troops. Well, I was going to say, all, all except for the worm. The worm's Ludo. resounding. So. <laughs> yeah, the worm is... Yeah. He looks, he looks very Q-tippy. So as Sarah's running away from the fire gang, she comes up against a wall, uh, a struggle ensues, and then a rope comes down. We realize it's Hoggle. She climbs up to the rope. At the top of the rope, she kisses him. And... Ta-da. Now they are in the bog of eternal stench. Mm-hmm. They fall mm-hmm. through a trapdoor. Yep. Fall through another trapdoor. Random, yeah. random trapdoors everywhere. They are essentially making their way through the bog of eternal stench on the edge of a wall. Wait, wait, wait. They slip wait. And let's, fall. Let's not gloss and, and, over the... The... Bog itself. We're getting to that. The, 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 we're, get, we're getting that. We're, get, we're, getting to, we're getting through the characters meeting. Okay, up, okay. And then we're going to talk about the visual, yeah. pres- the visual, visual presentation. Visual okay. auditory presentation of the bog. Got it. Do you okay. mean the fact Proceed. that the bog is made out of prolapsed anuses? <laughs> yes. <laughs> pulsating Flapping. pulsating sphincters. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. So anyways, they fall off the wall, they meet up with Ludo, and then they end up meeting up with Sir Didymus, who is a fox guarding a bridge in standard fantasy trope fashion. Sir Didymus then gets into a fight with Ludo. Ludo ends up winning. Sir Didymus essentially says, hey, no one has ever bested me in combat. We need to cross this bridge. And in the process of crossing the bridge, the bridge breaks for Sarah. Hoggle is on one side. Didymus and Ludo are on the other. And so at this point, we'll talk about what the the bog looks like. So the bog is essentially a bog, um, just like you would see in The Princess Bride or any any of the other movies that went into swamps or bogs or whatever. But yeah, it's, it's wetter than water. your usual bog, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. They just it's, it's a moist took bog. resin casts of everybody's buttholes <laughs> and stuck them in the water. It, it was a very specific then butthole. made yeah. them fart the whole time yep. in one giant poop joke for a good ten minutes. Yeah. We spend a lot of time in this bog. We do. Yeah. We spend a lot of time looking at these buttholes in the bog, too. Like, mm-hmm. they zoom in on several of them and it's do, like, a good money shot. Obscene. Probably about three yeah, or they, four. Yeah, they, they just keep cutting back to it. Yeah. 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 Well, they know how to make a good porno. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and, and the flatulence is just constant. Like, this was what? a 10-minute long fart I joke. think it's just to get the point oh, across yeah. about how bad it smells there. Like, Ludo makes the point very, very often, and it just really must smell bad. Yep. Can we talk about the plot hole where if even a single drop touches you, you'll stink forever, and yet these stones... Like, let's talk about the stones, whatever right. you get to there. Mm-hmm. This is when Ludo summons the stones, and at this point, uh, uh, Jennifer Connelly should have just been like, well, the rest of you could just fuck off, because I've got Ludo here. 
Pretty much. He controls rocks. This entire labyrinth is made out of rocks. Yeah. Right. So she's hanging by a tree, or essentially a, a branch off of a tree, after the 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 bridge that had stood for, I believe, Didymus says a thousand years. I mean, it looks like the world's worst two by six. Just falls into the poop water. Ludo then bellows, and a rock pops out of the poop water. Jennifer Connelly jumps onto it, and then rocks just start popping out of the poop water, and everybody gets across it. Mm-hmm. To Mike's point, if you get one drop of the bog of eternal stench on you, you stink forever, but they're just walking through poop water covered yeah, rocks. Yeah, it just comes right up out of the water. You can see they're just still covered in poop water, and then they're just step, step, step. The dog um, plods yeah. across with his shaggy fur, and you know when dogs walk, <laughs> like, in, you know, when it's raining outside and they mm-hmm. track in their paws. Like, they could even walk Listen, on the sidewalk and they're tracking in. We God all went knows what. to middle school and high school during the Jinko days. Like, you remember those jeans soaking up the fucking water <laughs> halfway up your shins? Yeah. Yuck. Come on. They were just soaking poop water halfway up their Actually, shins. I don't know what you're talking about. We had to French roll our pants um, back then. No, you didn't. You were in the late 90s. (laughs) I remember a period in the 80s where I French rolled my pants. Well, that was a whole reason for the grunge look, right? We ripped the giant holes in the knees so the water wouldn't go up past the knee. (laughs) (laughs) Water break. All right, so after they get across this bridge, Sarah mentions she's hungry. Hoggle gives her the peach. Once she eats the peach... Cementing him as the biggest, the most terrible bullshit character. In this, yep. in this movie, uh, yeah, because he roofied like, Jennifer Connelly. Yep, right. So back to Jareth not really being that bad of a guy. He's like, no, I don't want to kill her or whatever. I just want her to not come after the kid that she asked me to take. So all this peach does is it makes her forget why she's there. Oh man, this does a lot more than that, man. This is this is <laughs> the shit. All right. First of all, she's high as fuck, like <laughs> drugged out of her fucking mind, like seeing shit high. And uh, he blows out some uh, fucking crystal balls, crystal balls, filled with all her loves and all of the things she's ever loved. And it comes down here, and she arrives in. She gets into one of these crystal bubble balls. And inside is a fucking drug fueled orgy with David Bowie. It's yeah, like, it, well, it's it is a drug fueled eyes wide shut orgy. Yes, it's David kinky Bowie, degenerate so. sex with drugged yeah. up seventeenth century cosplay hedonists. Fucking yes, please sign me up for this shit. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> it's essentially Ziggy Stardust in real fake life on a big screen. Oh, it's so it, this scene really did it for me, and I was like, "Yes, yes, why?" And then she just she just breaks out like a fucking pussy. Ugh, what a buzzkill! Well, she starts she starts slow dancing mm-hmm. with David Bowie with Jareth the Goblin King. Yeah, and then she and then it starts to gradually like build and build and build and build and go faster and faster and faster until there's a sudden pop. <laughs> as she's trying to run away from it. So. Yeah. You know. This was one of the scenes that was Orgasm. rewritten into what it is. Like, Ooh, it did, really? Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. This, was this scene initially had a lot more talking. Um, it was not as overtly sexualized. And oh, really? it was essentially supposed to be 
it was it was it was a masquerade ball, but there was there was there was conversation between Sarah and Jareth, and then he was supposed to profess his love for her. Kind of in the Disney Final Fantasy esque of like, mm. you can stay with me and I will love you or whatever. But no, they went in the other direction. Yes. Now, when you yes. say they, was this like a Jim Henson George Lucas call? Was I can see a, Lucas doing this. I can see Lucas. I can see Lucas doing this, this as well. This is strictly David Bowie <laughs> saying this is what I want to no, do. No, no, I, I, I think David Bowie would have been like, he's out to sea on this one. Let's 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 reel it back in. Yeah, exactly. yeah no. It, from what what I've read in the couple of interviews I found, and then on the Wikipedia page, Bowie was actually the more level-headed individual on a bunch of these scene rewrites and jokes, and how like he wanted the movie to be kid-friendly. Like he was like, "This is a kids' movie," and they just piles of cocaine in the writers' room where they were just ratcheting this fucker up to eleven constantly. It was he, Bowie himself, being like, we're not going to do that. That's because everybody in the writer's room was like, please, please, I want to get railed by David Bowie. Let's make it a huge sex orgy. Please, dear God. Right? Yeah. Well, anyways, after she bursts her literal bubble, uh, she ends up in a junkyard. Uh, In the trash. Yep. Yeah, like in the trash. And there are a couple of creatures that are goblins with just mountains of trash on their back. Yeah, they look like Cabbage Um, Patch Kids. Garbage Pail Kids, if you remember that. Yes, those were a parody of Cabbage Patch. Yep. Um, So the the one that she interacts with, the female version of this goblin, takes her over to a tent. It was like, stay in here, you'll be safe. Uh, She goes into the tent, you realize that's back in her room, and as we now know, New York. And the goblin, well, first off, Sarah says, oh, my God, it's all a dream. It seems so real. And then goes to open her door to go across the hall to check on her, her brother-in-law, or not brother-in-law, her stepbrother. And when she opens it, the goblin is there. And uh, and the goblin comes into her room and starts saying, don't you want to stay with all your toys? And starts putting them essentially on her back. Um, and this is, yeah. sharp-eyed viewers will notice that this room is filled with stuff that happens in this movie. There's oh, an, yeah, yeah. there's an M.C. Escher painting. There is something called a sweeping toy that, or a slashing toy that looks slashing like it's toy, the cleaners. Yeah, yeah. it's the um, cleaner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there are mm. toys of the fire gang. Uh, yep. There is a sculpture yep. or a model of Jareth. Yep. yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of references to the stuff. Yeah, I noticed in the beginning of the film. There's like a a little stuffed Serdinimus in there. Yes, there yes, is. There is. Yeah. yeah, every every shot of her room has has the stuff. Has so the is this stuff. actually? It even well, has I like mean, a it's... little a little uh, version of the big orange guy in there too. Yeah, man, it's like a yeah. metaphor, man. So do you think she's yeah. like this yeah. something like bad for dinner, just... and this is all like uh, one of those fever dreams where she just incorporates everything that she sees in her room into her dream? No, this is her trying to spice up her babysitting gig by having a giant fantasy acting out make-believe type session which winds up incorporating some things that she normally wouldn't do because she's starting to become an adult so, do you think when she was in that park originally that there were some mushrooms that she picked up and ate could have been yeah possibly. but like but think about it like at some point in time she's gonna have to change the baby right so that's got to be the bog of external of eternal stench mm-hmm. with the flapping buttholes <laughs> That's what baby buttholes look like, right? Yes. Yeah. 
and she's worried that if she ever gets a, a drop of the uh, excrement on her, that she'd stink forever. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you though, that is an, a real thing. Like you don't understand. <laughs> you don't understand. Oh, Derek, you can't. I, I I've got to warn you about this, okay? Because when it comes to changing diapers, you'll like you'll be sitting there one day, like you'll be driving, you'll be in a car, you're not even near your kid, um, and all of a sudden you'll be like, you'll smell poop, and you're like, oh god, and you just like you start smelling your hand. You're like, oh, is it on my nose? Is it on my face? You just will smell it, and it's. It's up in your nose. It gets lodged into your sinuses, and you'll swear that you smell poop, and you're going into work, and you've got baby shit smeared across your face. So you'll pull over to the side of the road, and you'll look in the mirror, and there's no poop, but you'll just still smell it, because it does last forever. Like, you'll change the diaper, and hours later, you will smell that that mm-hmm. poop, that, that movement. It is It is real. Oh, yeah. Been there. Yeah, the the other thing to that you should know about your house now is uh, that nothing is a little drop of chocolate that you dropped earlier anymore. You know, it's, <laughs> nothing is like, oh, I, there's a little piece of chocolate that fell off my candy board. That's not, it's that never. doesn't happen anymore. Don't even chance it. <laughs> and let me tell you, it'll be like that for the next 10 years. Because I'm mm-hmm. still finding things that look like little pieces of chocolate. And I'm like, wait a minute, we don't, I don't remember buying chocolate. And he's I don't remember. I don't remember buying this uh, tar-like chocolate that's <laughs> smeared across a diaper. Oh, yeah. dessert, dessert. Oh no, I don't. I don't remember <laughs> buying this chocolate that someone has uh, smeared across the bedroom wall that says "fuck you, dad." <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, dad. So while she's in her room, uh, like in in the room in the tent in the junkyard, she remembers. Essentially, she snapped out of her jug, mm-hmm. drug-induced haze, and then she has to go save Toby. At this point in time, the junkyard starts to actually press in through the walls, and she's able to climb out and meet up with the party. And they're like, "Oh yeah, the Goblin City is literally right there." Like, they're like fifty yards from the gate of the Goblin City, and they roll over to the gate. She's trying to sneak through. Sir Didymus is trying to wake a very sleepy ancient goblin guard up. Once they get into the city, you think they've made it scot-free, and then all of a sudden two massive metal doors close and a... I don't know, what do you want to call suit? it? Like a, a, yeah, yeah, a a, a, mech suit? Yeah. A steampunk mech suit, yeah. Just rolls out from the door to start swinging a giant axe at them. This scene was, the special effects in this scene are very weak. Overall. They're real bad. Yep. Yeah. Considering some of the stuff they've pulled off throughout the rest of the film, this is really, really poor. Yeah, this does not feel good. I'm pretty sure, like, I think this is the scene where you actually get to see some of the strings attached to Lord Didymus. Because there's a couple times where he moves and you can actually see, like, the, the rods that control his arms moving around. Oh, really? And it's, yeah, it, it pops up every now and again. And I think this is the scene where you first see it, and then it pops up again in the next scene. Gotcha. So anyways, there's a there's a big fight. Hoggle comes back because he's been dejected this entire time about giving her the peach. And he runs across the top of the ramparts. How he get up there, good whatever. He jumps down onto the, essentially the helmet of the mech suit, pulls it off, and is able to fight the goblin inside. He tries to drive the mech to no avail. They neutralize it, and then they're able to go into 
uh, the Goblin City. I don't think it's a like I don't think it's bad. Um, see, it's not CGI. It's not like bad Spe- special effects. It's not bad special effects. It actually is. It's, more, it's bad puppetry. It's it's, it's that <laughs> goblins made this mech suit. What what do you expect? Like they're the size like they're blowjob height. You know they're they're tiny. What do you how, how do you expect them to I like? Make... I like how that's a discerning measure of <laughs> yeah. of like distance now. Yeah, ah, yeah. Well, they're only blowjob height. So yeah. th- they're made that's... by goblins that you know have the intelligence of like a squirrel. So I wouldn't expect that that mech suit is all that great. So I don't fault the movie. I fault the goblins. <laughs> Good. That's the right <laughs> thing to do. Mike. It, it didn't. It didn't mess up my immersion at all. For the next probably about fifteen minutes of the movie, the the crew of heroes has entered the Goblin City. The goblins then uh, let Jareth know that they're there. One thing I failed to mention earlier: um, at one point, Sarah runs into Jareth and he's like, "How do you like my labyrinth?" And she's like, "Yeah, it's pretty fucking easy." So he slashes her time. Like she originally was supposed to have thirteen mm-hmm. hours to complete this, and he just was like, "Screw you! I'm just gonna roll it. You got like three hours left." And there's probably fifteen minutes left until the 13-hour kind of mark. And then cue puppet insanity mm-hmm. for the next 15 minutes in this movie where it's just, <laughs> it's the battle scene. This and set looks all, awesome, though. Like, I want to go play in this kinds, set. Yo, yeah, like all kinds fun. of crazy bullshit is happening. The goblins have multiple cannons. Some shoot regular cannonballs. Some, some shoot, shoot spiky cannonballs, which actually turn out to be goblin cannonballs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They come across a goblin that's just in a gun suit. Yeah, like he's the best yeah. goblin by far. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, like, like that goblin was like, I don't, I don't want a spear or a sword going to war. I just want gun. Basically, like, to what do you mean gun? To make this set, what they did is they had like a big open room, and they brought in Brian Proud, and they were like, Brian, just jizz all over this <laughs> thing, just spunk it all over this. All over this uh, this set, and he did that, and that's just what they got. Yeah, yeah. There's all crazy. kinds of crazy stuff. Like the, there's multiple different mounted troops of different colors, which there's a whole Didymus interaction with them, where he actually fights one, but then the rest have him surrounded. And this is a point where Ludo calls in the rocks, which is ultimately how they end the fight. The rocks just roll everybody over. Yeah, styrofoam rocks just, full. It's just chaos. Chaos for 15 minutes on screen, and it's great. This is a great bit, yeah. This is when they, they summon all the rocks, basically, to fight all the um, the goblins. Yes, yes, yes. And the, the giant, the giant uh, cannon guy, they could not really get get past, so a giant rock was summoned to crush it. And when it gets crushed, you actually hear, like in a very like weak voice, uh, the goblin that was in the suit say, I'm okay. Yeah, like, yeah no one's actually away. like nobody can die. No one just dies or gets hurt. Like even yeah. even when at one point a rock, essentially they load in a spiked goblin cannonball into the cannon, and then a rock seals up the you know the breach of the can or the the barrel of the cannon. The cannon explodes, and the goblin who is in the spiky cannonball is alive. Yep, you see he, has, he has a around. similar line. He's yeah. like, "Did you shoot me?" Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it is a kids' movie. And the goblins just succeed in blowing their town up. Like, that's The heroes, nothing happens to them. The goblins yeah. are just shooting cannons haphazardly down 
It's a, very small streets. It's because they're doing the best kind of damage you can do. Property damage. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Just fucking up your town. I don't want to do fucking poison damage over time bullshit. No. No. Yeah, you want to do like uh, none of this our, our dots hockey nonsense. team or our football team won, so let's burn our own town to the ground to celebrate. Yep, that's yep. the best kind yep. of violence you can do. <laughs> uh, absolutely. At any rate, they finally run uh, up to the door of the castle, and Ludo pushes it open. Are we not going to talk about the chicken? We did. Uh, uh, we, we talked about it multiple times. During this fight, yeah. if, if we want to be very succinct about it, during this fight, there is a scene in which the goblins are running out of the way of some rocks that are, are going down kind of a, a stepped alleyway towards the camera, uh, the goblins dodge out of the way of a, about what I would imagine is a three-foot diameter styrofoam rock, and there are two chickens that are running. One of the chickens dodges out of the way, and the other one just gets clocked <laughs> by this rock, and it's pretty awesome. Just biff. It was probably okay, but it totally got tagged. Yeah, I'm watching that scene right now. That's why I wanted you to bring it up again. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I actually... I, yeah. I, just enjoy. I, I keep on hitting the, uh, the the ten second rewind on uh, Netflix. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Watch it over and over. It's not because I I enjoy the chicken getting hit, but it's just so funny. Sure, right, right. You don't enjoy the gun. Um, now we're never going to have Netflix as a uh, sponsor. Good job. Yeah. Oh, we yeah. can bleep it out. We can yeah. say that it was Netflix. <laughs> so we're, we're we're almost to the end of the summary, and then we can get into the meat of this. So they, they run into the Goblin Castle. <clears throat> they go into the room where the goblins were taking excellent care of the child. And there is a essentially a stairwell off to the left. And they stop, and Sarah tells them that, that she must face Jareth alone because that's the way that it's done. This bugs the shit out of me, but go ahead. Yeah, and, uh, and the, the entire party... The entire party of your D and D fellows were like, uh, "Are you uh, sure we could yeah. come and help you out?" And she's like, "No, I'm good." Yeah. And then they're like, "We'll be here but if you need us." If you need help, all you have to do is call. Also, have like, you been paying attention through this whole movie, where the whole lesson was, "Don't do what the book says you're supposed to do," right? <laughs> and the, all three of them are like. All right, whatever, you stupid bitch. <laughs> she <laughs> runs up the stairs. This is when we get into the the MC Escher drawing. Yeah, the, the, essentially the thing you see on her, uh, the wall of her room. She sees Toby. She sees Jareth. Lots of MC Escher drug things happen. He like walks mm. through her at one point. He can he can do gravity manipulation. She cannot. Well, the thing is, she she didn't try. You don't true. Try, she did not. So. Yeah, she did not believe she was neo in the matrix and there is one point where there like, is no spoon there is this kind of like crescendo of interactions and then jareth kind of gets real sad like there's a whole period yeah. in the middle where he's just like kind of sad like crying off in the corner yeah. of the labyrinth and you're like well, is, because oh, jareth. he's not the bad guy oh, and isn't, i mean isn't he this was literally commissioned like... to do a job yeah, and then it's... some teenage girls just fucking it up and I think this was was the, the scene the where he asks, up, "Am I not good enough for you, tour, yeah. or something like that?" Uh, eventually, yeah. He, later, he does it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, it's also this is where it's revealed that he's done it all because it's inferred that he's done it all because he loves her. Right. Yeah, it's all for her. Yeah. Well, that... well, it's it's inferred that he loves her in the drug fueled orgy of the masquerade ball. Well, too. at the very beginning, God, that's what she that narrates. Scene. So, like, if her words have power, um, it's all of that was because the Goblin King loves this beautiful woman that you know the mm-hmm. titular. It gave her the power. The power yeah. of hoodoo. <laughs> you do. Remind me of the babe. What babe? Babe with the power. Babe of the power. Jump magic jump. Which is dance, an excellent magic, segue dance. into the fact that the final confrontation is her remembering the line that she forgot at the very beginning where you do not have power over me or you have no power over me. Yeah. Again, she says. I hate the way this movie ends, but go on. It's really dumb. <laughs> Uh, it, then it she only shows gets up back dumber. At... It like systematically negates everything it was trying to say up to this point. Right? Like yes. you have no power over me. All of a sudden, boom! She's back home. The owl flies away. Toby is important. She gives him Lancelot. She goes into her room. Her dad comes home. Is like, are you up? She's like, yeah. She looks in the mirror. It's all her animatronic and puppet friends. And then she's like, I need you right now. Dance yep. party. Roll credits. That's how the fucking movie ends, folks. Yeah. It's like they ran out the, of time. The only, one, the only one missing from the dance party, though, which was a, I was a bit disappointed by, was they didn't have Jareth in there. Mm-hmm. He was like the only one that wasn't there to dance around. Well, he was so. watching outside as an owl. Yeah. All the goblins are there. Yeah, the goblins were there. Yeah, so even he, the bad they guys, like, quote unquote, bad yeah, he was just goblins outside, dancing outside of her window with his little gut, with little owl claw, just jerking it, crying big owly <laughs> tears. God. <laughs> So let's let's go back on some tangents. Now's the yeah, time. Tangents. I mean, so, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the ending because we're because we're there right now. We can go back. Sure, but sure. I think we've honestly touched upon, at least in my opinion, I, I, we could get really deep into the weeds. I liked a lot of the artistic direction of like the goblins and shit, but like stuff that I want, like in my notes, I hit every high point of yeah. things. I was like, oh yeah. Thirty-two, forty-six, maximum junk. Done. <laughs> that was the high Sent. point. <laughs> that was that's really my only note. I have one note in the entire fucking thing. I did the rest from memory. But but the ending, they like. First of all, she goes back to reciting the book of poetry, and and meanwhile, we've been told this whole movie essentially that like she needs to grow up. It's time to put away childish things, and essentially, the labyrinth yeah. is her childhood or her emotional and mental block and she needs to move past this but the end of the movie she goes back to reciting her her storybook again and like reenacting the the part the things that she was supposed to put away and then at the at the end of it like and it's inferred that she's kind of growing up she's like throwing out some of her old junk but then she's like no i still i still want all these babies shit around me yeah come come puppet me up because it was supposed to be something along the lines of like, oh, you know, I want to become an adult and move on from childhood, but I still want that childhood that I can dip my toe back into, except she just sort of flings herself right back into it. I think she she does this every Saturday night. This is just, you know. Kinky. This is how, this is how her babysitting gigs work out. She just goes into this fantasy world, mm-hmm. does a labyrinth again. She disassociates. Disassociates completely, yeah. Yeah. She's like speed running the labyrinth now. 
Exactly. It's, just, it's not. <laughs> it's not fulfilling you think she's anymore. Using, like, yeah. Well, the um, hit boxes and like pixel count. Yeah, yeah. Like, all right, if I if I jump this high, that adds an extra eleven pixels to my damage reduction. Exactly. It, yeah. She's. It's basically it's programming. She's like basically programming labyrinth at this point. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But not that I totally believe that message. I don't really believe that message at all. But it sort of undermines everything we've learned up to this point about what she's supposed to get out of the labyrinth. Yeah, yeah. Those next steps to, like, take the leap into adulthood. Yeah, and that, you know, not everything is structured like a storybook, and you have to think outside the box and do the work, you know? Yeah. And you need to be able to roll with the punches, or at the very least, like not overreact to every little tiny thing that your parents tell you. Yeah, and if you want to have, kid. if you want to have a heist house as nice as their parents' house, it's a nice fucking house. You got, you really got to yeah. work. You got to put in the hours. Here's the thing that that I didn't, I didn't get. It's her stepmother and her father, and in the very beginning when you're going through a room, she has all this playbill information up that is obviously like portraying her mother. As an actress, did mm. her mother die or did her mother divorce her father? Well, you know those actresses. <laughs> so, you, so you think that she she divorced the, her father? I think she Ooh. was unfaithful. Mm. And the reason why Sarah is afraid to grow up and embrace her sexuality is that she saw that weaponized by her mother. Ooh. Wow, we're going straight to that. I just looked at it as kind of your standard 80s, you know, this is why I'm mad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is Could, an angsty thing. Just trying to be dramatic, overly dramatic, because she's a kid. Yeah, I don't know, but, but it is a good point, because like even at the beginning, the, the stepmother does say, you know, you should be dating boys, you should have plans. The only right. reason why we're asking you to do this babysitting is because we know that you don't have plans. Yeah. Because look at this house. We are fucking rich. We're rich, Sarah. Yeah. We could hire a babysitter if we wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> they live in a town immediately north of New York City. Yes. In essentially a Victorian-style house in an idyllic community. And it's fucking decked out. And they're like, we're so mm. rich, we live in an anachronism. <laughs> so, I did get mildly <laughs> nostalgic for the 80s when I saw it. I was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah I remember those yeah. days. So I want to go back to uh, Jareth's motivation. Oh, yes. So, my theory on this movie is... So, Jareth is taking this opportunity to basically bring Toby into the goblin realm in order to groom Toby to become the next goblin king. Mm-hmm. Because the only Ooh. human amongst the goblins is the king of the goblins. Yeah. So, Jareth was seeing this as his way out. So, he was going to groom toby to be the goblin king and then leave the goblin realm so he can come back to the real realm because he's been trapped in the goblin realm for so long and that's one of the reasons why he loved jennifer conley so much is because she was finally giving him his freedom from this labyrinth but doesn't that seem a little backwards don't don't you think that in this day and age they should have hired from within the goblin kingdom <laughs> promoted you, you yeah. know the, the hiring outside of the agency just never works out because you don't have that same kind of core knowledge so they should have hired like the next demon king from you know I'm, 
I'm well, telling you, it's, it's bullshit. The there's, a, there's a blowjob ceiling. Just, well, they, there weren't very many tall... Whoa. Uh, the blowjob ceiling <laughs> was just above the wall of hands. Uh, <laughs> the hand job city. But, but no, like, I, that's, that's actually... One of the things I was thinking about when I was watching this, I think I watched this like three or four years ago, a little bit more recently. And that's one thing I kept on thinking the entire time was like, is Toby supposed to be the new king? Is this sort of like them ending a curse? No, I mean, this is how he grows his forces as he recruits children into being goblins. All those so all the, those goblins used to be children. Used to be children? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a theory, but I, I actually do like where Adam is going with this one. Um... It, like almost like the Dread Pirate Roberts, mm-hmm. right? He's, you know, like he's the Dread Pirate the Roberts has to make the next Dread Pirate Roberts, and that's how he does it. He kidnaps somebody, and then he tells them every day he's going to kill them, and then <laughs> after years of that sort of emotional abuse, he goes, ah, just kidding. I was never going to kill you. You're the new Dread Pirate Roberts. I'm going to go retire in, like, Florida. Yeah, sounds a lot yeah. like uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Pretty much. problem is he started a little young, right? Because he's like, this is so great. They're all at blowjob height. And the baby's like, goo goo baba. He doesn't get it. <laughs> wow. We already saw that Gareth could actually speed up time by turning the 13 hours into three hours. So maybe he was going to do some time dilation on uh, Toby mm, yeah. to make him a little bit more of an adult. So we can uh, go through those learning modules a little bit more quickly. <laughs> learning modules. I do of, of all <laughs> these absurd the, he's, he's on the theories goblin that unit. you have had <laughs> I really think that that's a good one Adam. Mm-hmm. I have Thank not you. watched that movie in in kind of that mindset and I think that yeah I, he was he was an excellent father figure. Mm-hmm. His army of minions were incompetent. Excellent caretakers They the child's safety was paramount you know it was well kept fed Made mm-hmm. sure that it had a comfortable existence. It was there in the royal court. You know, that was not just like, we're going to eat it. Yeah. Unless it's, you know, they're lulling the baby into a false sense of security and fattening <laughs> it up. Right. Well, then you just you just go kidnap a fat kid. That baby was kind of... Like you, wouldn't, you wouldn't bring it into your <laughs> that, royal court. That baby court. was a pretty so big that baby. people would be like... I'd, I'd, go, get a, like, I'd go get a crush on the, oh. the, the Sarah Connell, the uh, Jennifer Connelly that has a fat child baby. Yeah. A fat little brother. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely not going to, like, create an emotional connection with the human that I'm about to eat. I thought you were going to say, I'm not going to create an emotional connection with a fat kid. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I'm not. I got bad news for you, buddy. <laughs> but no, Although it's, I do, it's like, it's I do like, hear that makes it taste better. It, yeah, it's like, like naming the cow a... that you're going to slaughter next spring. You still right. name it. You just name it, you know, beefy or, you know, dinner. <laughs> I named I named it medium well, man. So I have gotten into this conversation with my wife multiple times, uh, and I have a very unique perspective. And Adam, I think we've talked about this, where I've actually worked as kind of a ranch hand before. Mm. Uh, so I've been around cattle, like ranched cattle and and hog and everything else. And I'll tell you, fifteen minutes into working with fucking cows, you're like, I'm so glad we eat you. You're like, I fucking hate every ounce of your existence. They're so 
fucking stupid. Well, pigs, pigs could be like, yeah. yes, yeah, cows are very well, stupid. But cows pigs that were could domesticated be, uh, before, just pigs, pains in the ass. Pigs were, were yeah, pigs are assholes. Pigs were filthy yeah, and, pigs are and fucking were assholes. Feral for long, long, long. But cows have been bred over the last you know ten thousand years to be dumber yeah. and dumber and meatier. Like they're literally yeah. just a steak on legs, and they're br- they're so stupid. Their brain is slightly bigger than that of a chicken because they're a mammal, and they have to keep their young alive. Whereas a chicken just lays an egg and then wanders off, and you know starts pecking at a rock. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. That good, sounds like good hard work. That sounds like big chicken propaganda. <laughs> it was big chicken propaganda. <laughs> No, it was it was hard work. It was it was good work, but okay. So let's get yeah, on to the yeah. topic that we all know we're here for. Dirty thirty, and, and that is we haven't done dirty thirty. <laughs> I know. I just want to bring it back up because it's so dead that it's like the trying to bring it back. No, I just like to bring it up in memorial. Uh, and that is the fucking sock sack, the penis pocket. Oh, the ball. Oh, yeah, we're going to talk about like two hours on that now. Okay. I thought, yeah, I thought we covered that pretty well already. We did. Not ad We talked nauseum. about how it was... The sushi it slay. Was essentially... <laughs> sushi Essentially slay. a design element that they... And I quote... Intentionally and this is the there. part yeah. where I told this to my wife today on the couch as she was watching this movie for the very first time in her life. I was yeah. like, wow, I really enjoyed that. I was like... But she was like, why did they make his bulge so big? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, it was a design... Like it was a costume design intentional like feature to be, and I quote, terrifying to a fifteen year old girl. End quote. And your wife was like, "What? I don't find that terrifying." Fuck. She was like, "Well, I mean, if David Bowie walked into a room with that amount of bulge, that's enticing, mm-hmm. not terrifying." Yes. It However, is. <laughs> the fact that the fucking that the that the studio heads were like, how can we make this really, really terrifying to a 15-year-old girl? And somebody was like, I don't know, take a giant kielbasa and shove it in this pants. Yeah, <laughs> That's fucked up, man. Like, that's real fucked up. Yeah. It's very patronizing. I like it. Well, I don't. Well, who cares what you don't like? I care. What, what do we think of this movie? I think it's a classic. I loved it. I'm not gonna lie. This this movie was a lot of fun. Yeah, and it was really really fun sitting there watching it with with the family today, and everybody was enjoying the just kind of absurdity <laughs> that was happening on screen. Yeah, it's pretty enjoyable. It's really uh, like there are a few problems with the special effects, but overall, it's like really nice set design, really fun characters. I, as an adult watching it, I wish it held together better, but still love a lot of it. I st- looking back, I don't know why I was so scared of this movie as a kid. Well, it's, there's some scary stuff in it's it. It's weird. You know? I mean, there there definitely are some intense scenes, but there was nothing that was like at the beginning when we started recording. I was talking about on the same <laughs> fucking morning. We watched a bunch of this movie, scared the shit out of us, watched a bunch of Return to Oz, scared the shit out of us, and then watched the intro to Terminator. <laughs> like, <laughs> two of these things, or one of these things is not like the others. One of these things does not belong, and it's very clearly Labyrinth. 
I think the hand faces to a kid, it, it does the uncanny valley brain check that makes you fear it because it looks just enough like a face that you know it's a face, but not enough that you feel comfortable at all with it. Um, <laughs> now, now here's a question I have for everybody. If fucking neck vagina hoggle showed up in your room, like Sarah's room at the end, would you burn the house down or would you burn the entire block yeah. down? <laughs> well, have I already previously Salt met the him? Earth, just to be sure. Like, if I was sure that I had met him before, even if it was a dream, then would you have that kind of familiarity and be like, oh, hey, it's neck vagina? Or, like. <laughs> oh, hey, it's neck vagina. How's hey, it neck vagina. Hey. Hey. And, um. <laughs> Hey, old NV. Do paper bags exist in that world? <laughs> Wait a minute. Are you saying that you're going to fuck him? No. Wow. What? No, I was just talking about, like, taking my lunch to school with the paper bags. I like bag. how every one of these Mike just takes it to the next level unintentionally. I like the fact that like, he, Mike's... he was not intending to go to level 11, and yet here we are. Think of the size of the paper here. bag you'd have to put over Hoggle's Or was I? I mean, you'd have to use one of those, like, leaf-gathering bags. You get from Home Depot. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. you got a hefty, hefty cinch sack, that fucker. It just cranked <laughs> yeah, like, down on the jawstring. Like not like you're going to the fucking bodega on the corner and getting, like, a sixer and a couple sandwiches. No, no. <laughs> Like no. you, you need you need like a thirteen gallon yeah. <laughs> trash bag. Yeah. And it was like a horse's head. <laughs> what I really liked was in the ending when Sarah calls all of her best friends back to hang out on her bed. <laughs> Hoggle is there and she runs and does a flying tackle at Hoggle. As if she was like trying to like knock him off the bed to ensure that he wasn't going to be there. And then she like pulls back and it looks like she's hugging him and like things are all good. But initially, it looked like she attacked him pretty hard. And uh -oh. I was hoping that that was going to be like a like her just kicking his ass. Like, motherfucker. You betrayed me? You gave me a poison peach, you son of a bitch? <laughs> I'd be like, fuck, motherfucker, you got any more peaches? God, that was a great trip. <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> awesome. fucking high as shit. <laughs> Do you know I fucked David Bowie in a dream? <laughs> God, I hope that was David Bowie in real life. Oh, no. <laughs> Probably wasn't. There, There's a couple scenes during the end fight where David Bowie is just, like, watching out of the window. That's when his Karen hair energy yeah. is really at its strongest. Where oh, yeah. He's like, oh, they're not fighting very well. I'm going to go talk to their manager. Or he's, he's like, on the uh, next door app. These kids have shown up down the streets. Everybody keep an eye out. I'm going to post yeah. these pictures as if it's going to incriminate anything. Mm, yes. <laughs> Next door is like the new Nate is Karen app. <laughs> All right, David, what is our next segment? So, would you let your children watch this? Oh, absolutely. I watched it with my child. There you go. Is, is she going to. Be able to watch it again when she gets older. You know, I'll be interested to. Uh, I remember watching this movie again, like I had said on that morning. But friends in the eighties or whatever, and it, it terrified me. We watched a little bit of it, um, and then I don't think I watched it again till maybe college. 
And I can't tell you the last time I watched it in between then and then, you know, this past week or two. I really enjoy this. And I think we're going to put this into the, you know, kind of the family movie rotation. Nice. When she's like, hey, I want to watch a movie. I'll be like, hey, do you want to watch Labyrinth? Like, let's watch the puppets. And I think as as long as she's of the understanding that all this stuff is puppets, then it's not going to be an issue. Yeah, it's puppetry Um, of the penis. Jesus Christ. Did you gather around children? Was it made for children? Like is it really? Or was it actually like like was it intended for adults and then they said, Oh, but let's tie Jim Henson and add some puppets and you know, like It was always meant to be a Jim Henson uh movie from the beginning. Oh, that's good. Okay. The, the the idea was to pair a rock star with Muppets, basically. Yeah. But but as to whether or not it was supposed to be for adults or for kids initially, that's hard to say. Because back then it was definitely for kids because that's what all the Muppets were for back in the day. Yeah, However, I think initially definitely it was. Yeah. Somewhere in the middle it started to go off track. But yeah, Somewhere around the point where George so, Lucas was like, somewhere around, yeah, oh, somewhere around make uh, his penis bigger. Yeah, somewhere around. You gotta make it? that penis bigger. <laughs> was it somewhere it around 34, 25? <laughs> It was it was all about the cod piece, part of the armor, like like I'd said earlier. Like it was part of that rock star, coupled with, you know, fantasy like leather and armor and sure, penis, penis, nothing but ball bump, <laughs> filled nothing, with country goodness, nothing but hog penis. pocket, hog pocket. <laughs> is that what his name is? Hog, Hoggle? Hoggle's Hog Pocket? Hog Pocket. I think I would I would let my uh, daughter watch this. Like, it's got a female protagonist. She's she's pretty kick-ass. Um, it's a lot of fun. It moves along pretty quick. The overall message is, like, mm, a little confusing, but I, I don't think that a little kid would care. It's really fun. I mean, at the end, the the message is really, truly friendship. And so I would argue that it does have a very confusing on its route to get there (laughs) positive (laughs) message. Like, hey, we were fighting each other with rocks and we fucked up a couple chickens, but dance party in my room at midnight. No big deal. Mm -hmm. The the literal take of that is that she could have gone left and gotten right to the castle. But the whole movie was a very roundabout way to, you know, get to the end. So. We're taking figurative and literal uh, and metaphorical um, to the extreme mm-hmm. here. Yes. Yeah, if she had gone the other direction when she met the worm, mm-hmm. the movie would have been 34 minutes long. And everyone knows the that end. children love irony. Because <laughs> they understand it so Well, they understand well. sarcasm, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> it doesn't take them long to find that one. <laughs> nice. Uh, all right. What is our right. next did, segment? Did, wait. Oh, Mike. Sorry. Mike yeah, yeah. I said uh, it, it's a it's a kid's movie. So yeah, we really enjoyed watching this today, and actually at the end of it, um, because usually our Sundays are are full of football, uh, at least in the fall and winter. I, I said to the wife, I was like, we should do this every weekend. We should do family movie. Aww. I mean, even even though the kid's not old enough to really understand, as long as we do something that's kid-friendly with a lot of motion colors, you know, stimulation. She'll enjoy it, so. 
I, I she'll understand that it's a tradition and that you're all doing it together. That's what's important. Yeah, true. I didn't think of it that way. Yeah. Um, Where every Sunday it's we take two hours and we watch a movie together. David, what is our next paddling? All right. Well, this was a movie, so we can't uh, keep it on the list. Nope. Why Can, not? Yeah. What about is the there sequel? anything we could vote off? <laughs> Can we vote off uh, Jennifer Connelly? Well. <laughs> oh, interesting. Can, can I make a suggestion that we do a movie maybe once every, like, four times a year, once a quarter, once every three months? Wow. Once a quarter. Like That's a big commitment. <laughs> I feel like we're slowly becoming what we hate, a movie podcast. Mm. <laughs> okay. Wait, what? Right, never mind. No, yeah, wait. How do you get there? <laughs> There's just a lot of movie podcasts, guys. There are a lot of movie podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Competition okay. is stiff. Okay. And we, we entered this market thinking there would be no competition at all for us. <laughs> and, then <it's, laughs> and then it turns out there's a podcast called Thunder Road. God just, damn it. That's a good name. That is a good one. Which, which does every episode of Thunder. <laughs> well, they're going to oh, run out okay. of material, yeah. Man, you stole my thunder. I was going to make a turgid did, did joke they about. Stole, stole your thunder? Whatever. <laughs> You're fired. They stole your thunder. Yep. They, they stole your thunder. <laughs> yes, we heard you. <laughs> no, I'm going to keep on saying it until somebody laughs. Uh, <sighs> so. <laughs> I was hideous. Right. I'm going to make a blanket ruling that fake laughing is no longer allowed on the podcast because it hurts that's, me. That's all I do, okay. though. I, I'm okay with that. <laughs> Sorry, David. You, you, okay. What is our next segment? What is uh, okay? So, so redemption. I've reviewed redemption. our re- I've reviewed our records, and Derek, you have a redemption that didn't get used officially. I do. No, actually, you know what I I kind of would like to watch is uh, Ah Real Monsters. Oh, I remember watching oh, that one quite a bit yeah. as a kid. You mean if we could, if we number could one on the that. list. Nice. Well, yeah. Let's see if we can get to roll. Have we done a Nickelodeon cartoon yet? Okay. I I don't think we have. No, I don't think so. No. No, I don't think we have. No, no. No, I don't. I don't think we so have. So hold on. Before we do that, we have Doug on here, right? It's in the. Yeah. Uh, the wait vote list. on section. It's in the yeah. waitlist. Okay. When I've tried to put some of the uh, Nickelodeon shows on, they get voted off immediately. Yeah, because so. they're garbage. <laughs> Which means of of all, the, of all the shows that actually I would like to see on, I would I prefer Doug over Ah uh, Real Monsters or like. Well, you can add Doug. Uh, well, yeah, add Doug and move it from your waitlist from the waitlist. Yeah, let's do that. Instead of buffing Ah uh, Real Monsters, let's move Doug up. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, Adam, I think you were saying you wanted more off-the-list options. So, what are you suggesting, David? I'm suggesting adding uh, entries for movies, live-action, waitlist. <laughs> like adding, adding to the movies or adding from yeah. the movie waitlist to our master list? <laughs> Adding those as separate entries on the uh, on the master list, so that each one will get its own range of index. I think 
think I just had the world's quietest orgasm. I just ejaculated <laughs> a little bit. We really? are adding. I just, I just had an opposite orgasm. I, you had a, you, I you literally. Had orgasm? Yeah, I, uh, I, I sucked some of the joy out of the world. So we are absolutely <laughs> going to be moving from the movie list, the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. No, to that's the full not list. what he said. That's not what he said? No, no it's, it's saying I would add the movie. I would add an entry called the movie list. Yeah, it's the same as the overflow. Oh. So basically there would be multiple things like overflow on the list. Yeah, don't, don't gotcha. get too yeah. excited now. Fuck. Yeah, you piece of okay, shit. Okay, I gotta suck that orgasm back up. It's too late. <laughs> I already sucked it. <laughs> All right, fine. Um, then, yeah, let's do that then. I was actually going to add something from 1986. Uh, I think it was going to be like the Galaxy Rangers or something like that. But no, I prefer to do a movie. Let's add a movie entry to the list. Thank you, David. All right. It's David, do we have any more redemptions? Not today. David, are you sure we don't have a redemption for me to have? <laughs> I think uh, I think Matt's trying to like undo what I just did. Are we sure? Well, the next redemption You're is sure. mine. So. Oh, okay. No, I was going to remove Doug. <laughs> oh, man, really? Of all the man. Of all the cartoons that we have on here, that's actually a good one. Pull if you're gonna do it. No, I don't have redemptions on. <laughs> David, what is our next segment? Okay, still to come. We want cartoons, twenty-six hours a day. Tell me what is Index Two Seventy Six. Don't like how familiar that sounds. Nope, it's a new one. Do Ooh. we do we go up or go down? Well, we did just add Doug, so hmm? we go up. We go, we go up. up. So. Gundam Seed. Mm. This one's for yes. the mics out there. This one this is one's for mic. all Ooh. the mics. Gundam Seed is a 2022. I'm sorry, a 2002. A 2002. Jesus Christ. My Ought speech. Two. There's a 2002 series with 51 episodes. What episode are we going to be watching, David? Episode 8. Oh, wow. That's an early one. The Songstress of the Enemy Forces. Of course. Oh my Ooh. god. <laughs> okay, well, that sounds abysmal. I, I, I keep forgetting all of these mecha animes are actually like all about singing. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did you find like the one fan service like anime in the 80s in mecha? Don't you wish you knew? I guess we'll find out. Tune in next time. Who got it? Yeah, who who's going to be singing it? Who do we inflict well, this on, David? Well, someone else knows all about this show, so of course it goes to Derek. <laughs> <laughs> Holy fuck. All right. I'm doing nothing but playing goddamn anime video games for the nice. next six months. Nice. I get to reprise my role as witty sidekick. <laughs> I'm down. Well, of the of the seven Gundam series that that, that exist, this one is sort of towards the middle. <laughs> Yay! Yeah. Oh, good. Just, right when they're well, we'll see if it's. I mean, we'll see if it's any good. It might suck. 
I would be super happy if it sucked because it'd be funny. But some of our best episodes are the worst shows. I'm excited yeah. to get, to hear yeah. Mike just like nerding as hard as he can. I'm not big on Gundam, <laughs> so I'll have to actually like pay attention. What are to this you one. big on, Mike? Tell uh, us about what you gets you big yeah, on. Yeah, what do you really like? What, no, yeah, what I'm gets kind you of embarrassed. Big on, Mike? I'm kind of embarrassed, but I like the Izakai, like the stuff in another world one, because it's so cliche and overdone and generic, but it, it's fun to watch. Like, That's on you. Got reincarnated as a blob. That yeah, that one you know, Sword Art Online, all of the other generic, complete copy like and paste uh, um, ones that have come after that, where there's an overpowered protagonist. But I guess they are kind of considered harem because as soon as he lands in this new world, he immediately like picks up uh, a, two party members of women, and then he just continues to grab like five or six more of them from there. Mm-hmm. And there's always a love triangle. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I guess it's, I guess a love octagon. Yeah. <laughs> isn't like <laughs> isn't like, Do you like this because the real hero of these shows is like grinding, where they're like, oh yeah, he's super high level because he killed a hundred boars. Well, so some of them are that, that like, <laughs> or some of them are he killed fifteen rats. <laughs> he's now able to kill a human. He killed every rat in the game. A lot of them start off with like, "Oh, well, he was so normal and boring in the real world, and then he got here, and it was because he was hit by a truck. So God gave him like the ability to have all five elements, you know, uh, and only everyone else in this world could only cast magic with one element. So you know, shit like that." I mean, I just feel like we should have done Voltron first, but no, we do. Well, we don't make the we don't roll the dice. We'll get there. Well, we do roll the we'll dice. We'll get there. Yeah. We don't. I mean, we literally roll the. Well, we we, we don't make the rules. We don't make we, the, rules. the collective yeah. we. The royal roll the dice, or rather, rather, we do make the rules, but we hate ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. All right, let's send this one home. All right, gentlemen, this was a good time. I enjoyed Labyrinth. For your for your budding sexuality, I've been Matt. Oh, we're just ending it, (laughs) just like that, like that. Oh goodness! For David's blowy, I've been Adam. (laughs) For crunk magic, (laughs) I've been David. Smells bad. I've been Mike. (laughs) Wow. and for Bowie's bodacious bulge, yeah. this has been Derek. See y'all next week. Amazingly Terrible is produced by David and Adam. Music by Josh Woodward. Send your email to monotonouslyterrific at amazinglyterrible.com. <laughs> <laughs>